Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Web3 Business Podcast, helping you navigate the future of business. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Web3 Business Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for innovative thinkers who want to know what works in the world of Web3. Today, I'm going to be joined by Chris Ebeling, one of the founders of Zed Run, a very popular NFT project. And we're going to explore Web3 and gaming and what we can learn from one of the oldest NFT projects out there, which I think you're going to find super fascinating. By the way, I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. And if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow this show so you don't miss any of our future content. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top-tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. Let's transition over to this week's interview with Chris Ebeling. Helping you to simplify your Web3 journey, here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Chris Ebeling. If you don't know who he is, he's a professional animator, artist, and creator. He's the co-founder of Zed Run, an NFT project focused on horse racing. He's also worked on multiple Lego movies, which my family loves. And his Web3 Entertainment Studio is called Virtually Human. Chris, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Michael, thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Thanks for the amazing intro. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to be here and excited to talk shop. Excellent. Well, today, Chris and I are going to explore how Web3 will change the future of gaming and the entertainment industry. But before we go there, I would love to hear a little bit of your backstory, Chris. How'd you get into Web3? How'd you get into NFTs? Start wherever you want to start. Beautiful. All right. Well, as you mentioned, I've got a, like a long career spanning in the traditional you know, entertainment space, you know, the Web2 space, working as a digital artist and animator creative director on, on movies, you know, uh, AAA games and trailers. Tell us a little bit about that. I'm just curious, like, what, what does that involve? I mean, like, especially like the Lego movies, because that's what everybody's going to know, right? Okay. Yeah, Lego movie, one of the best projects I've ever worked on, to be honest. And then there's many reasons why, and I can get into that. But, you know, as an animator on the Lego movie, I mean, I, it's, it's easier to explain to people if you're a cookie 
designer than an animator. But what I'll try to do is explain it anyways. So an animator is basically the person, the puppeteer behind the 3D objects. When, when, when I say I'm an animator, a lot of my family or friends go, oh, so you made the whole movie. No, we're just part of the, we're one piece of the puzzle, right? Like we're part of that big uh, one cog in the big wheel, which is a production house that produces these entertaining movies. There's like, if you ever look at the cast at the end and you see who's worked on it, the artist, there's like 500 artists, digital artists like myself working on a movie like that. But as an animator, we, we're, we're the puppeteers, right? We make, we make Emmett move and we make him wave and we make him talk. You know, Chris Pratt, he voices it. We get the audio and then we sit and we act out performances. So we're kind of the actors in the movie. So we'll film ourselves actually doing performances to Chris Pratt's voice or Will Ferrell's voice. And then we'll, uh, we'll show those to the director, to our leads, to the supervisors, and we'll kind of hone in on a performance and, and kind of create this illusion of life is what we call it. So, so the whole goal for us is to make you believe that those Lego characters are actually living and breathing and, and have emotional value and, and connection with the audience. So yeah, it's, a, it's an awesome job. And, and, and further for that context, I would say three seconds or like three to five seconds is what we would animate in a week. Wow. So if you take three to five seconds and you break that down to 24 frames or if per second, right? You're looking at 100 to 150 frames of animated movies. And then, and that's what one artist has to deliver in one week. And that's a 50 hour week usually. So that's crazy. So your background is in this kind of animation that's often in movies. And I would imagine in video games and stuff like that, right? How did that prepare you to enter into the world of NFTs? Great question. But I've always been intrigued by new technologies, right? So working at, uh, you know, on the Lego movies and that, you know, we're always at the forefront of new software that comes through to, to actually make our workflows faster. And I mean, you would have seen the boom of AI in the recent months, right? Like that is something which is going to change, you know, the digital industry forever, right? This is a new evolution, revolution, you might say, you know, we had the industrial revolution, we've had the agriculture revolution. Now it's the AI and machine learning one, right? But for me, I was always intrigued in these new technologies. And so when I kind of worked in that space, I also quickly started working in virtual reality when that came out. I was really intrigued by this new device that you strap on your head and lose yourself fully in. And, and for anybody out there following, you know, the metaverse, that is one of the core components or one of the components, one of the many components of what we call the metaverse, right? So always having the curiosity, always being intrigued, you know, augmented reality, virtual reality, mixed reality and machine learning, uh, virtual production is something which is also very big now and, and using real-time engines. And so that curiosity, along with my ability to teach and, and want it, my willingness to educate is something that I'm passionate about too put me in a position to lead up an academy in, the, in, in Australia, of all places, in Sydney, Australia, called the University of Technology in Sydney. And that's where I was in three years. I helped build and form this master's course, which is focused on teaching youth or young students entrepreneurial ways of being like ideators and innovators with these new devices, right? So we would teach them how to make Lego movies and, and, and game trailers in the, the traditional sense. But then we would also then say, okay, how can you take these competencies and transfer them into these new uh, mediums, these new outlets, these new hardwares and softwares, where we know, like I, I say this bullishly, but where I know in my heart of hearts, that is going to be the future, right? So I want to prepare students, not just for today, but for tomorrow. And so through that curiosity, 
along came Web3 and blockchain, right? And so I was a late adopter of blockchain. I got into it about 2016, but then around then was CryptoKitties. That's very early. I hate to inform you. Okay. <laughs> it, it is. I mean, I would love to have been a, 10, a 2010 adopter, right? Or 2012. Right. But uh, <laughs> it was still, yeah, it was still whirling. It's like, what is this? But then, you know, this thing called CryptoKitties came out and, and you were breeding cat pictures and creating new cat pictures. And it was like, that's interesting. And so me and my co-founders, uh, my co-founder, Chris Laurent, who is the CEO of Virtually Human, he actually came up with this idea. He was working in a horse racing district. He was working at some horse racing companies. And he came up with this idea of, okay, what if we take that kind of new technology and democratize it with this, um, this tech, like with horse racing ownership and this technology merged together and give people the ability to own digital racehorses, race them, breed them, you know, sell them and win prizes. So then from there, Zed Run was born. And when was that? What year was that? That was, an, well, so that was an overlap. Like uh, as any entrepreneur or uh, someone who's a, an opportunist, I would say, you're always working your day job, but then, you know, always doing your little side hustles, right? And I'm, I implore all students to do that as well, because you, can, you should never be satisfied. And there's always a way to, you know, uh, sharpen your sword and your wits if you have the time and energy for it, right? But so we were doing that as an overlap while I was at the university. So we created the prototype. We came up with the pitch. We were doing some pitching on the side. But when we got our early seed like investment, then we were able to, there was a fork in the road where we could go, okay, this is full time. So that was 2017, 2018, you know, just around then. And then when I was able to go on full time, like in 2019. And when did Zed Run officially launch as an NFT? Like, was it? actually 2019 or was it more like no well we were testing the market this is this is what's so interesting like we were testing by selling like horse uh, just pictures of the horses and trying to come up with the idea of these like they weren't even 3d then they're just these flat vector pictures and just to see if there was appetite you know because in those early days and still now you know nfts uh, there's a lot of speculation right and sadly that's hurt a lot of projects as well because people believe in the speculation and then of course some projects just decide to um, pull the rug so to speak and the nfts were are like very speculatory uh, uh, projects. But with us, it was kind of a test bed to see, is there appetite? If we say there's a roadmap, there's a game coming where you can race these horses, and you can breed them. Is there an appetite for it? And it was a really early days test to see that actually people were buying and selling these things without even a game out. So that, of course, uh, gave us our light, light bulb moment and we jumped in and we decided to create Zed Run as a, as a game and, and go for it. So bring us up to kind of the present as far as what you're doing like these days now. Since then, you know, that was 2018, 2019. That was a big bull run, of course, in the NFT space. We had a huge success in 2021 and we were able to then raise our Series A, which was great. Uh, align ourselves with some really top investors and some really good strategy partners. And since then, we've been building. I mean, the game's gone through all sorts of forms. Uh, we've worked with big partners, brands. We've brought uh, like uh, the likes of Budweiser and NASCAR into the space. So it, it's, there's been a lot in that time because it's so new. There's been a lot of, I dare say, trial and testing, right? You're trying to figure out what the framework and the format is, is for success in this space. And, you know, we've seen some early successes with the partnerships we're doing, and then we're, we're, we're continuing to do them. So we're, we're iterating on those and building out more. So the game is constantly getting better. We're changing the way that it's played, the game mechanics, and we're really trying to move into what we've learned is that in the early days of Web3, everybody was trying to crab people in, hey, this is Web3, this is why you know, owning your digital assets, isn't that great? Where the focus was, you know, where people use the term play to earn, right? And I think that that sentence is wrong because you're, you're, you're saying you have to earn, right? The focus is on earn, where if you go play and earn, 
Now the focus is where it should be on entertainment and games. It's on the play. So you got to make your game fun. You got to make it sticky. You got to make it enjoyable. That's retention, right? And, and people, you know, people vote where their feet, and they'll go where the fun is. So if your game's fun, people will come. Outstanding. So, so now what we're doing is play and earn, but free to play and earn, because now you need to think about inclusivity. You got to look at web two. You got to look at games like Fortnite's, the Robloxes, the, you know, the, what's it called? Candy crushes and any of these online, like mobile games as well. They're free to play. They have no barriers to entry, right? And you can just jump in and you can get your uh, so-called fix or your dopamine hit or your enjoyment, right? Your pleasure, your escapism. So that's the focus now is how can we make a free-to-play version of Zed Run, but where you have the ability to and earn on top of it, right? That's where I think the focus needs to be. And I think that's what's going to really game change or be game changing, literally. Well, we're going to get into Zed Run a little bit more in a bit here, but I want to ask this question. Why do you think Web3 will likely disrupt or change the world, traditional world of gaming and entertainment? Like, let's just talk about it. This at a, you know, look into the future a little bit. And given what you've seen in the years you've been in this space, especially because you come from the traditional entertainment space, right? How do you see Web3 likely changing all this in the coming years? Yeah, I think I think it's huge, man. I think, you know, the main one is decentralization, right? And the ability to own your digital assets. Like g- gaming is, is key and, it, and it's, 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 it's got its place. It's a billion dollar industry. You know, it's going to be an Olympic sport one day, I believe. I, re- I truly believe like we've got, you know, what have we got lately? We got uh, skateboarding last year. and I think we're getting breakdancing in the next Olympics. It's only a matter of time before they, they go head to head and have professional gamers competing for their countries. I, I truly like you can hang me up on that one, I think. So based on that, right, it, it, that's, a, that's it's a game of skill. It's a sport, right? It's a pastime, but it's, it's a really popular pastime. But what decentralization and this, this digital asset ownership does now for the people playing games is it gives them ability to actually own digital items for the first time. All that time you put into something like Fortnite or building a character in something like Elden Ring or, or World of Warcraft, you're building your guilds, you can now own pieces of that. And that's, you know, again, literally game changing, pun intended, but it's, it, that's where it changes. Now, there's a danger there as well, of course, right? Because now people, are they playing the game for entertainment or fun or are they playing it to make ends meet, right? Or make some extra on the side? I, I dare argue with that, that there's already people doing that without decentralization, digital asset ownership, and they're called streamers. Or they're professionals, right? They're making ends meet by actually putting in the hours every day and being good at what they do and, and, and hooking in an audience that then can raise some tangible rewards for them. You know, recently, I don't know if you've been tracking this, but Yuga, who are the folks behind the Board Ape Yacht Club, had this thing called the Sewer Pass. And with the Sewer Pass, you, you could play a video game. And the person who got the highest score happened to be a professional gamer. I saw that. And he won an NFT and he recently sold it for 1,000 wrapped Ethereum, which was $1.6 million. And this is more than he made two years in professional gaming. And, you know, this is kind of big money potentially for gamers, right? Because he owned this thing. He put it up for sale in a digital marketplace. Now someone else owns it. He did the work. He won the prize. But the prize is now transferable to someone else. That simply wouldn't be possible in traditional gaming. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And it's, it's incredible. It's an incredible story that, and, and, and there's just going to be more of it. I mean, we're still very early days, right? But to see something like that in Yuga Labs and, and do that is, is incredible. And we saw similar successes and I've seen similar sales with Zed horse races, with Zed horses. Really? Like we've seen Zed horses sell for $250,000. Wow. 
Right. It's not 1.6, but it's, you know, that's still a lot of money. Yeah. It's a lot of money, man. That's game. That's life changing money. And, and people want to get, and, but people believe in that investment because they see that that's a good horse and there's, there's a good bloodline, a good digital bloodline that they then can breed more horses out of and create championship stables. So, and then they can make that money back over, over time. So it's, it's really how you strategize and how you play the game in the terms of the Yuga Labs one. I mean, Congrats to the Fortnite guy. I saw actually the run through. Did you see him play it? It, no, it, uh-uh. went, it went so fast. Like the guy has, has like Jedi, you know, senses. He's just moving all over the spot, but yeah, life changing money. And, and it's amazing that then, you know, I think what's, what's beautiful about it being a developer ourselves and having a company that does this ourselves is, you know, we're not just taking all the money in, we're actually bringing money in and we're putting it back into the ecosystem and back into users and players hands. And I think that's a beautiful thing because it can change people's lives but it it also just incentivizes and makes it co-ownership, right? Which is, which is a big, big deal, like co-creation and co-ownership, creator economies, which I hope we'll touch on as well. Well, and my understanding is that in the, the traditional gaming world, there are professional businesses, right? Where there's like leagues that people put together and they hire professional gamers and they try to make a business out of it. But I would imagine with the ownership of things that Web3 brings to the table, there's going to be legit people that are going to be able to build businesses on the top of gaming. Is that fair to say? Uh, yeah, 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 100%. It's, it's just an extra utility. It's an extra layer of opportunity, right? Just like Web2, web you know, we're, we're in Web2 right now doing this podcast, right? And it's an opportunity for the people who want to make something out of it. Like you're running successful podcasts out of Web2 utility and, and other gamers are doing that by streaming, right? Or TikTok dancers do it by TikToking and, and then and then getting loads of uh, views, and then they get some product placement, they get paid to wear something. And so that's how it works, right? So what this Web3 is, is an extra layer on top of that. It's not changing any of that, it's evolving that. Now you can own the content that you put out. It's immutable, it's on the blockchain. It cannot be, it's on a transparent ledger system. Anybody can see anywhere. That's game changing, right? If we think beyond gaming and we think about movies and the future and stuff like that, you know, what are your thoughts about how Web3 is going to alter the future of movie production, for example, or any kind of television shows and stuff like that? Yeah, look, I think we're going to be able to own assets from digital movies, you know, just much like you can walk into a Planet Hollywood, you know, restaurant, right? And you can see uh, the Terminator 2 leather jacket or the Die Hard singlet or the jeans that Bruce Willis wore or whatever, right? And somebody actually owns those. I mean, I think it's Bruce Willis and actually Arnold Schwarzenegger that had that chain. I'm not sure. You correct me if I'm wrong. But, you know, if you've got money, you can buy them, right? And you can own them. So why wouldn't you be able to own, let's say, you know, Sully from Monsters, Inc. or a fractionalized ownership of Sully, of a main character? Why couldn't you own the rights and distribute the rights that way? I mean, there's a lot of legalities there. But I think for a business and somebody who's making a movie, you can get your funding early in the door, much like a Kickstarter campaign where you kind of, again, that's what these like roadmaps are. It's speculation. It's a promise of something we're going to deliver. But if you're making a movie and you can get a trailer out there and you can, you know, sell, sell parts of that trailer digitally owned or characters, I think you could, I think that's, again, it just adds another revenue model, another touch point for people who are creating them. Well, and I think what's really exciting is if you can get lots of people to have ownership in this, then you can disintermediate the traditional ways of having to raise funds for these kind of things, right? Which are centralized powerhouses who get to decide you can or cannot mention this or do this inside of your movie, right? Exactly. And we're seeing that already with the art world, right? Like, uh, that's what, be- like a guy like Beeple, who everybody would know because he's the one who kind of hit the hype wheel and sold his his 5,000 days of uh, summer 
at, at was it Sotheby's for some ridiculous amount as well. But he, he like he's a, his own artist. He manages that himself thanks to the blockchain, right? And there's also musicians that do the same that actually can now go instead of having to go with a manager or with a label, they can actually manage themselves now and go and be directly distributor of their own music, right? Digitally. Yeah. And we've got a musician coming up on the show. We're going to talk about that down the road. Awesome. Let's talk about why games are going to be useful for web three. We talked about it from one perspective about how web three could change the gaming industry and how it could change the entertainment industry. But there's plenty of people listening right now that are maybe not aware of how games could play an important role in web three, even if they're not into games. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, we're already like, everything is becoming gamified already is where I'd start, right? Like if you're looking at, you know, I'm big on real time engines, something like Unreal Engine or uh, Unity. I mean, those, those are game engines, but they're democratizing the way that we make movies, right? You're using it for real time production, movies like The Lion King or, or series like The Mandalorian all use the power of these real time engines to produce movies and it's and it's it's to cut costs but it's also to be more creative as a director or or as a creative artist there's just more flexibility in a traditional movie sense you you have a pipeline which is very linear but because you can use real-time engines you can actually tap back into other stages and do a lot of things at the same time you can do your lighting along with your animation along with your acting you know along with modeling assets and it, it just creates this way more organic and creative workflow it can be dangerous because you don't really want to give creators the creativity all up to the end because, you know, it's hard to let your, nothing is perfect, right? You always, the hardest part is letting go. But, but the, so there's one, there's one aspect there, but even like virtual like training programs in VR, right? Like we, we, we do a lot of like, there's, I know that there's chemistry labs that are simulated. There's architecture that's built as well. You can see a house and you can visualize it through weather conditions before it's even built and you can test it through simulations using game engines, right? So game engines are super common now already. And even when we're playing, like if you're doing a VR simulator and you're, you're, you're trying to like do some CPR and you're practicing nursing or CPR as an ambulance or ambo, we call them, but as an ambulance, uh, you know, what do you call them? Outreach 911. We call them like, my gosh, I can't even remember what we call them, yeah. but they're like first aid person. Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. call that. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, It'll my, come to my me. lack of, <laughs> my lack of, my lack of knowledge there, but, yeah. but EMTs, I think we call them emergency technicians or something like that. Yeah. But those training programs are now gamified, right? Like they're made in a way where it's a cause and effect and you're getting error feedback. If you do something wrong, it's like a game. It's like super Mario. You do something wrong, you get smaller. You do something wrong again, you die. Then you start over. Same things. It's repetition. It's error feedback. And so we're, we're seeing that in, in a lot of different sectors now. And I dare say that all the kind of silos we used to be in are now being like broken down and it's merging into this kind of blend, which, again, is, is, is what the metaverse is all about as well. Well, from a Web3 perspective, don't you think that games are going to get the masses in because... I do feel like right now there's so few people that have a digital wallet, for example, and even understand what Web3 is. And I would imagine games could be the, the vehicle to onboard people pretty massively, don't you think, into the world of Web3? hundred percent. And we've already, and, and, and actually to that point, we've already seen that with, for example, Zed Run. There's, there's been many of our users that have come out and said that we're their first NFT. And it's because of the appeal of owning a horse racing that they went through the strides of then understanding what a wallet is. And, and so on and so forth. However, the wallets are still a huge friction point. So that's why we're trying to also move into this free to play and earn model that I mentioned before, because it's super important that you don't add these frictional points of, you know, because us humans, lo and behold, these last 10 years, we've gone from 12 seconds attention span to like seven. We're, we're like our attention span now is, is like a goldfish, right? 
it's because of the Netflixes, the YouTubes. We can we can we have entertainment at our fingertips when we want it. So if we get met with these little friction points, which is a wallet transferring crypto, a lot of us give up, right? We just go, it's not worth my time. I, I, I've got a show to watch, you know, I, I need to watch the, the next season of Family Guy or something like that, right? And so we need to be better. And what we've learned, and this is like knowledge share, is try to make that wallet hidden. Like don't show the people the wallet, get them in your game, onboard them first, free to play, then bring them in and then have some mechanic in your game. For example, for us, it's you will earn XP points, right? And if you're even racing a horse that you borrowed for free or a horse that, you, um, that you've been given for free, just a trial horse, you can still earn your XP points, right? And from there, those XP points can now be you know, either swapped to tokens or other NFTs. And that's a way to kind of bring you in, show the familiarity of this is just like Web2. It is Web2. You're meeting them at Web2. But then you're taking them on a journey, which is a bit different than the one they're used to. It's, it's still very the same, right? XP, we all know it. But except for now, you get, you get informed that, you know what? All that XP you've saved up, you can actually move it over here or swap it for one of these things. Now you own a horse. Now you have your first NFT. Now you, you kind of have been brought in, but at the right pace, I believe. Yeah, I want to zoom in on this a little bit. What I'm hearing you say is that, you know, in the beginning, when you guys started, it was purely built on the blockchain. You needed to have a digital wallet. You needed to yeah. know how to, in your case, you guys built it on Polygon, which is even more confusing for some people because, you know, they don't understand how to set up Polygon, you know, on their MetaMask or whatever, right? And it's a little bit confusing. And then over time, you realized, okay, what if we just make it so that anyone can start the game? Probably, I'm guessing, with an email address or a phone number, right? Yeah, exactly. And then you basically, they get to play the game, but the moment they want to trade or they want to upgrade or buy certain kinds of things, that's when you onboard them into creating their digital wallet. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah, that, or we've done it for them already below, but that's when we introduce them to the mechanics of a wallet. Ah, so you guys are self-custodying the wallet, basically. Yeah, so there you go. There's a vault, vault there for you. Here's your NFT. Oh, you want to take it out? Well, here's these next steps that you have to do. And by then, they're already invested in the game from, from an emotional standpoint, but also they put time in it. So they're, they're willing to go those next steps, right? It's, 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 you're giving them confidence through education, right? Versus the other way where we're trying to cram everybody into a Web3 hole, you know, and, and, and it's very early days. So the people who we're getting in there are the people who are savvy. And I kind of, there's an analogy I like to use, and it's just like everybody drives a car. Right. But not everybody knows how an engine works or how, how to open it up and look at it. Right. And, and tinker with it. So correct. And not everybody knows how to do stick shift either. Right. We don't necessarily have to. And right. we don't have to, and we don't want to. Because, right. again, we've got other things we want to spend our time on. But for the people who do, they, they're like Sunday drivers. They got, a, you know, an oldie, you know, a Chevy and they're fixing it up and they're going out and they're loving that they've made this thing run and purr and they pick it up and they oil it. They're like they get into it. Right. Those are the people who are in the space now, I believe. There's few that we onboard through, through gamers who then have the willingness to do that and take those extra steps. But that's not the masses. The masses are the ones who we have to make it much more frictionless and easy to play. There's a thing I like to say, and it's called time to fun. You can measure your, your, your game or your experience in time to fun. How fast can I get you, Mike, to sign up and get onto the racetrack and see your horse run down the field so you can get that experience and entertainment as fast as possible. And that's a really important metric. I think anybody, everybody should consider. So uh, I want to dig a little deeper on Zed Run. So Zed Run was started. Mm, I mean, did it really take off in 2021? Is that kind of when you guys had like, uh, 20? No, that's when we were able to, uh, 2019 was a huge year because that's when people and NBA top shots. And I kind of, I, I credit those two, uh, if I'm historically looking at it, yeah. people was a big thing. 
NBA Top Shots was big as well. And, and then all of a sudden, people who are playing Top Shots, they go, wait, this is horse racing game where we actually can, it's got utility, right? That was the key word. You can actually breed them, you can race them, and you can, it's a game. It actually is a, a functional game. So from there, we kind of onboarded a lot of masses and, uh, and, we, and to this day, we're still, you know, an active game. We've got 3,000 races a day. You know, we're looking for more. Well, and it's crazy. So 2019, you were one of the very first NFT projects. And if we're intellectually honest, you were yeah. before V friends and you were before board API club and, and Azuki and all the big ones, Moonbirds, everybody talks about, right? So I, you know, considering you started in 2019, we're recording this in 2023. So we're like three or four years into your journey. I can only imagine you've learned an enormous amount of things that these other projects are just barely scratching the surface of. So obviously we've talked a little bit about like, okay, onboarding the masses, but what else have you learned? Like what else, what other wisdom, like you probably made a lot of mistakes that a lot of people wouldn't even think about today, but I'm just curious, tell us a little bit about like what you learned over the last couple of years, just cause I think this is a great opportunity for anyone thinking about starting an NFT project. Yeah, from a product standpoint, focus on game design first, right? Like go back, like I said, we were focused on just the whole Web3 aspect. Hey, this is great. You can own a horse, right? We weren't focused on the fun. We were focused, again, like I mentioned, we were focused play to earn. Then we went play and earn. So the focus is back on play. Now we're looking at, we're fixing the play part. And the game has followed it the last couple of months. And we've got this amazing product team and head of product called Fukundo, who's just, he's in tune with the community. He's chatting with them all the time. He knows his stuff. He's worked in mobile gaming before, free to play. So he's bringing a lot of that knowledge on board. And he's just a really, really cool cat and really good at his job. And so we're making the game proper segmentation layers. So anybody who has a good horse to a less good horse to a worse horse, there's places for them to have fun, right? So that's one thing. And then, and then there's the UX and the UI, like the user journey, the user experience. It can't be too clunky. And that's where we talk about this whole wallet thing and Polygon and everything like that. Like we have to change that up and make that simple. And, and the way I look at it is I need my nine-year-old to understand it. I need my, my 80-year-old dad to understand it, right? If those two can understand it on each their end, everybody in the middle has a chance, right? So you got to make things simple that it's, again, that time to fun theory and, and escalation is there. Like that metric is measured and it, and it holds tight. A real quick question. I'm curious about how you grew the community also, right? Because this yeah. is part of my background as a marketer. It's not easy, right? Like a lot of times people, when they launch a project, they get some PR, they get some buzz and then things just kind of die off over time. The fact that you guys are still around is kind of shocking. So how in the <laughs> world have you kept the community alive and, ha and how have you grown it? Yeah. Okay. Great question. I mean, we, we engaged early and often with the community, right? We're always there. I'm, I'm, I'm on Twitter every day, reading everything they write and I'm, I'm getting tagged in things. I'm, you know, liking them. I'm, I'm commenting less than I used to because sometimes it can get a bit of a time sink and you, there's the, the constant squeaky wheels are there and they'll always come in and take an advantage or to jump in and it gets a bit, but, but we're there and Facundo's out there who's the head of product and we're listening and we're working with, with the community alongside them. And one of the keys there as well is a creator economy, which I think is a huge thing in Web3, right? Creator economy, we touched on like the ownership of your, of now creating your work or the ownership of digital assets or now if you create something, so I'll take you like on a journey in like what Fortnite Creative or Roblox do, right? They actually hand the tools over to their communities to build all these games. Now you're enabling and empowering your community to be the creators with you, right? And now you're exponentially growing your, your so if, you, if, I, if I'm making a game, I'm going to get my friends to play it because, hey, I want to show it off. 
and they then create a game and they want to get and and so exponential growth happens there so that's something we're focused on as well and we've, we've done that from the early days and we've given them access our users to our api so they can tag in and they make tools that make it easier to race and they, they can like get in and get the stats and the data so they can build these tools that empowers them in the game of skill but also them to run their own tournaments and, and, and do and do things on the side which then again grows the ecosystem and keeps them engaged right because we might not always throw the right tournament like we're still testing stuff and uh, we might not do something that pleases everybody but then one of the community members who has this ability to do so does it and, it, and it's pretty pretty damn cool to see that because that's the way you want to do it you want it to be inclusive not just from a hey anybody can play our game but also inclusive from we want to empower you creatively like with creativity and give you the tools so you can be able so there's a lot more to come in, in that part from us i think i'd mentioned to you that i had lindsay mack on the show and for those that didn't catch the show she was working for a really big alcohol company and Budweiser, I think I can't remember, but Ste- no, Stella, yes, yeah, 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 there you go. Yeah. So Stella Artois partner with you guys, but you also partner with Budweiser and others. So yeah. kind of explain that partnership with brand side of it, just so people can understand how that's helped you guys and, and how that might be helpful for others that want to partner with brands for their project. That's also how we grew our community, right? By, uh, you know, trust by association, by going hand in hand and going into combat with these big brands and, and doing these partnerships. It also shows like, you know, Budweiser, the king of beer, horse racing, king of sports. It kind of made sense that in the metaverse that we're, we're proudly representing the king of beer in the metaverse. But with Lindsay Mack, and, and God bless her, she's awesome. She, she's such a great woman and such a powerful woman. Like, she knows her stuff and such a leader in this space. So, big fan of Lindsay. We got to work very closely when Stella Artois kind of knocked on our door, or AB and Bev at the time, but it was the Stella brand they represented. And we did a, a I mean, was that 2019? I think that helped, like, part of the hype as well where we did a, a partnership and we kind of introduced Stella into the metaverse, into Web3, into the NFT. So we did some, you know, select skins for our horses, some really designed skins. And then we did a Stella track and we hosted some Stella tournaments on these Stella tracks. So it creates this, you know, fan engagement touch points for brands to get closer to their fans and also cross-pollinating communities, right? Not only is the Zed community drinking Stella that week, but Stella people are also watching Zed and, and racing horses. So it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful kind of balance uh, and mix of communities. Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense too, because like I live in San Diego and we have a, the Del Mar racetrack, which is a really big racetrack in California. And if you've ever been to the Del Mar racetrack, it's very fancy, you know what I mean? And and it's, it's the wealthy that go there, right? Like, and, and Stella is considered a higher end beer, right? So yes. the idea was to attract the audience that's into the, the fanciness, if you will, of horse racing, right? Because it's not like car racing, right? Which is totally different audience, yeah. right? Yeah, Coors Light, right? Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah. whatever the cheapest beer is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. And, and, and I mean, that's the beauty of horse racing as well. Is there's a lot of stuff happening around the track as well, right? right. It's the fashion. It's the appeal of being there and, dre- and you get to dress up. It's the, you know, there's, of course, alcohol and drinking and there's other things happening as well. And so, so it's, it's a bit of a party as well. There's DJs playing music. There's art being sold. And we've done things with real world horse racing down in, in Australia. Victoria Racing, who hosts the Melbourne Cup, which is the race that stops the nation in Australia. We did a, a metaverse. So we have a, a plot in Decentraland where we built the Zed headquarters. So we actually hosted a Melbourne Cup event there for all our users and community. And uh, we had DJs. We had a, a lady called DJ Havana, who's a, a famous, well, she was, I mean, she, she's still 
maybe she was a one hit wonder. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. I'm sorry. But, um, but she was, she's an Australian DJ. We wanted to keep it Australian. She was there doing and spinning in her avatar and being a DJ. Right. And so it was kind of, again, also a test bed to see, okay, how do we cross pollinate the real world with the digital and how do we get, you know, real world horse racing enthusiasts inter- interested in, in digital horse racing and vice versa. I mean, we've had players come to Zed Run and that was their first digital horse, but now they're interested in actually getting into the real world horse racing, right? So we've seen those kind of cross pollinations and, and journeys happen too. I have not seen one of your horse races. Uh, my daughter happened, I bought her one of your horses, but I don't know exactly what the user experience is like. Is it a desktop experience and is it a browser-based experience or is it mobile? I mean, how does that work exactly? I'm just curious. No, no, it's, it, it's not a downloadable app at this stage. Uh, we are looking at mobile app, but uh, there's reasons for that. I mean, A, uh, getting things on the app store when they're tied to NFTs and crypto is, is right. complicated. Is, is, is a, no, no, it's, a, it's complicated, but there's ways around it now. I mean, there's, I've been talking to a lot of companies about how, how to do it and learn from our mistakes. And we have our own like roadmap in that area that we will be rolling out as well when we get to it. But we've built, what the beauty is what, when you see a 3D horse race uh, of Zed Run, it's actually built in with using JavaScript. And 3JS is the, is, is, is the kind of language. And so everything is web rendered, which means you, you can't have like an old, old computer. But you, and it runs on an iPhone 8 and above, right? But you can go in and load it up and you can actually watch a 3D race and interact with it. So you can control the camera, you can click on the horses, check their stats. That's about the interaction there is at this stage. Will there be more where you can you know, amplify the game with a game of skill or like a choice? That remains to be seen. I mean, we're working on things in the background and always testing new ways to make this game more, you know, entertaining, more engaging. So um, that, that kind of remains to be seen where we're at with that. But the beauty of that is it's accessible. If you have internet and you have a phone, which is above, iPhone 8 and above, right? Which these days, maybe most people do, right? I would think so. And otherwise it's desktop browser. So you've talked about the metaverse a little bit, and I would love to kind of hear your thoughts on where... Is your game a metaverse game or is it becoming a metaverse game? Like where is the metaverse going to fit in the Zed run kind of, because here's what we know. You, you've got uh, headquarters, I think you said in Decentraland, which is a decentralized metaverse, but beyond Decentraland, where are your thoughts on how metaverse and gaming are going to come together? Yeah. So it's interesting. I mean, we're still early it, it, for the metaverse to really be what that whole like North Star is, it has to be interoperable, right? It, you can't have these walled gardens. And Zed Run is a walled garden in itself. Decentraland is a walled garden, right? Decentraland operates in its own universe, its own metaverse. But then what they do beautifully is they bring other brands in, right? And that's where the interoperability happens. So you could argue that we do the same with Zed Run. We're bringing Budweiser in and we could bring other brands in. Like we could work with other NFT projects and have any NFT themed tracks. Or maybe if you have this NFT that unlocks this horse or unlocks that. So there's ways to play with the interoperability like term, but for true interoperability to happen, we actually have to be able to take a Zed horse and plonk it into Zed and Decentraland and run around with it, right? One for one and or into Sandbox one for one or into Fortnite one for one, right? So like Roblox, it's its own metaverse. It just doesn't have the create, it has a creator economy. It just doesn't have the decentralization of owning your own assets. Fortnite's the same. World of Warcraft, NBA 2K, I mean, they all have it. They all have these little universes. What we need to do is actually link them all together. And that takes, you know, we need to have a standardization, a format with 3D assets. It's not it's like in the early days of the internet, 
we had the same issue. There was multiple internets, right? They had AOL that you had to log on to the internet with. But then TCIP came along and we had the standardization of what the internet is and it became boom. Now, now it's just open, right? Everybody is on the internet, the same internet. Um, we need to do the same with uh, Web3 and the metaverse. But the hard part is what file formats. Now it's more, it's, it's three-dimensional now. Well, and the rendering too, right? Because you're using all these, uh, as an animator, you use, what are the two that you mentioned earlier that everybody- uh, Unreal Engine and Unity. And- yeah, so Unreal Engine and Unity are not decentralized apps. They just happen to be the apps everybody uses, right? Exactly. So it sounds like you need to have a decentralized rendering tool, right? First of all, then you need to have a decentralized standard. And it's going to be a while because right now you've got people that are that are playing Web 2 in the world of Web 2 and trying to be the owners, the kings of their hills, right? Of course. And it's going to be a long time before this all becomes kind of interoperable, it seems. Yeah, it? And, and, does, and does Mark Zuckerberg want to give up a piece of his cake like so other, so other people can come play? Like, I, I don't know. I mean, and that's the thing. The technology will do it and can do it because we can agree on USD file format, for example, which is a, the Pixar Universal Scene Descriptor, which is an amazing file format, which has actually re- it revolutionized filmmaking and the way that we do films. We could all agree on that, but it's the humans that need to agree. The tech is there, the humans, maybe not so much, right? Because there's something called greed and, you know, ego and in it for themselves. So it's going to take some really like some regulations, some rules, uh, some agreeances. And again, I mean, exponential growth that AI is giving us, there's no reason why there won't be an AI out there already, basically, or in the next couple of weeks where I can take a horse and I can transfer it to Sandbox and it's just created the horse for me in Sandbox style and off it goes. Well, and it's it's fascinating because OpenAI, which was created by a bunch of people and Elon Musk was part of it, was supposed to be open, right? And then Microsoft came in and gave him a billion dollars and then another $10 billion and now it's not really open anymore, right? And there's this land race now between all these different people, Facebook and Google and massive entities, right? And now supposedly Elon Musk is trying to fund another open AI, a legitimately open one. But, you know, I do think that it's getting easier now, like you said, for people to create things, right? Because AI, I would imagine is going to allow people to do what you did in a week with the Lego thing in, in, in minutes, right? Yes. While part of me and my artistic training and all that is sad, it's just evolution and it's how it's going to be. Like the farmers were sad when the tractor came along and took their, you know, and they couldn't plow anymore. And and, and the horse people were sad when the actual car came along, right? Exactly. So it's just, we, you know, I have faith in humanity that we actually, you know, we're resilient and we actually adapt. However, it's going fast, right? So I do have a restraint when I say that because I also go, Jesus, it's going fast. Like there is Roblox just two weeks ago, I think, I put it on LinkedIn because I was fascinated by it. Now you can actually text and write what kind of color your car wants to be in Roblox and it would change it. And you can just, you know, prompt to stylize your car, make it fly, make the lights go on every five seconds. When I push this button, the lights flash. You're empowering creativity with using AI, right? And I think it's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's amazing. The more we create people to create, be the creators around us, the more we're going to get, you know, some genius inventions because they're out there, right? Well, and it's really interesting because you know how hard it is to do the things that you do for your company and previously what you did as you worked with these other companies. And now there's the next generation that's learning how to do these things without having to understand, like you said, what happens under the hood, right? And now they're able to do things really, really fast. So 
it seems to me as if we are in, we're going to be in a creative boom. Like, you know, like people have said, this is the age of television because there's never been more shows because of all these streaming services. Well, now I think we're about to enter in this age of creativity unlock, right? Because people that never knew that they could be writers are going to be writers because of these tools. People that never knew they were artists are going to turn into artists because they're going to learn how to manipulate these tools. And when they all start working together to create stuff, it's going to be pretty phenomenal. Don't you agree? Yeah, it's going to be amazing. And, and it's and again, like you look at history, history tends to repeat itself. I mentioned TikTok. I mentioned, you know, you could say, you know, what make the, what are those Paul brothers, Logan brothers, right? They were on this thing called Vine, right? Right, right, right. And they were comedians, right? But they never had the avenue to be a comedian in the real, like in the standard world back then. They couldn't go and get a manager. Nobody would look at them, blah, blah. So they just did their stuff and they took advantage of it and they grew exponentially, right? So that, that technology empowered them to be creative as comedians. And now they're, you know, they got their prime drink, which is, you know, shaking, shaking the world, taking the world by storm. Right. It's true. Yeah. Right. And, you know, he's boxing legends in the ring, right? Like incredible journey, right? You can't, you can't hate that. So, so just like that history will repeat itself. And as technology advances, we're going to figure out ways to use it, to empower our creativity, to power our, like what we want to try to do. And we're going to see some amazing things. We're going to see some things that we never dreamt of. I really, truly believe. Chris, if people want to check out Zed Run and your company, Virtually Human, where do you want to send them? And then also if they want to connect with you on social, it sounds like Twitter's the channel. So what's your uh, Twitter ID? Yeah, I am Chris Ebeling on uh, socials, but you can also hit me up on LinkedIn. Just my name, Chris Ebeling. I'm there as well. For those listening, it's E-B-E-L-I-N-G. It is. It is. Yeah. Chris E-B-E-L-I-N-G. For Zed Run, just go to Zed.run. Check it out. I mean, there's a, again, what we're focused on here is, is getting new people in just for, for free and just, just to try it out. So we'd love to come in, get her horse, try it out. Let us know what you think. Like hit me up personally. Like you can talk to one of the founders face to face and and please by all means, uh, anybody is welcome to pick my brain. I'm, I'm always here. I'm, I'm very passionate about the Web3 space. I'm very passionate about the future of the, this digital society that we're moving into. We already live in, basically. But yeah, this this expansion, this evolution that we're, uh, we're on. Yeah, and then Virtually Human Studios at vhslab.com. Check it out. Chris Ebeling, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate your wisdom and insights today. Mike, man, anytime. A pleasure speaking with you. And uh, yeah, I love being here. Thanks for having me. Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash W63. By the way, are you new to this show? Be sure to follow us. And if you've been a longtime listener, would you let your friends know about this show? I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Web3 Business Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may Web3 continue to change your world. The Web3 Business Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. The information provided in the Web3 Business Podcast is provided solely for educational purposes. Do not treat what you hear as investment, trading, or financial advice. Do your own research. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.